0: This is Big Sky Lead, a dive into the stories about how government and politics drive the direction of Montana. This podcast is from the reporters of the Montana State News Bureau in Helena, your eyes and ears on state government. It's produced by me, Tom Bridge. Our team brings you their reporting and the stories behind the coverage as the Montana State Legislature meets in an unprecedented session. So the big news of the week so far has been Governor Greg Gianforte lifting the statewide mask mandate on Wednesday. Uh, The governor announced that change during a bill signing ceremony for the bill to provide a liability shield to businesses, churches, nonprofits, and other places where people could be exposed to COVID-19. Holly, you were at the press conference. Can you walk us through what Gianforte said and when this... Uh, mask mandate will be dropped?
1: Yeah, so he started off by signing the bill and then made some remarks and in those said that he'll issue a directive this Friday that will lift the statewide mask mandate and that will be effective immediately. So that means that the order we've had in place essentially since July will be gone There's one important caveat to that, and it's the local governments still have the power to enact their own more restrictive mandates for their counties. And that's already the case for counties like Missoula, Lewis and Clark and Gallatin counties that have local mass mandates that will stay in place. Same kind of goes for school districts. We have local control school districts in Montana. So if there's not maybe like a county mandate in place, a school district can put in their own measures to Gianforte also said that he'll be streamlining other directives that are in place. It's not totally clear what that will look like yet. Some of the other directives we have right now do things like allowing for expanded telehealth, um, letting people from out of state come and practice medicine here more easily than they would a non-pandemic. So still some more changes coming. Not quite clear what those will be yet.
0: So why is Gianforte lifting the mandate now?
1: So here's a little bit of what we heard from the governor about that in the press conference.
0: I've also emphasized that to combat the virus, providing incentives and promoting personal responsibility are more effective than imposing impractical government mandates. So does any of this come as a surprise?
1: You know, I think kind of yes and kind of no. What Gianforte said you know, shortly after he took office is that his goal would be to lift the mass mandate in a matter of weeks, not months. And this liability bill was part of what he said he needed to see to lift the mandate. And it's really just marched through the legislature. It took a day more than a month to get it from the first hearing to signed, which is pretty quick progress for um, legislation to move through. The other piece of what Jean Forte said he needed to see to lift the mandate was starting the vaccination of the most vulnerable people in the state. And the key word in that is starting. Um, By Wednesday, when he made this announcement, we'd vaccinated about 41,000 Montanans fully immunized. That's about 4% of the state's population.
0: So what was the specific threshold or metric that led Jean Forte to lift the order?
1: So what he said on Wednesday is that every nursing home and assisted living center in the state had had their initial vaccination clinic visit. So each place is getting three visits. There's been about so far what the state said last week is 50% uptake rate among residents and employees at nursing homes. So they're doing three stops at each place. The vaccines that they're getting, you need two doses, so you need two stops. But then the third is to maybe have people who were reluctant that first time to get in on the next round. The other thing Gianforte cited was lower daily case rates, lower hospitalization rates, lower death rates, and we did see you know, a lot of businesses were supportive of the signing of Senate Bill 65 and then also the news the mask mandate will lift. But it definitely wasn't universally popular. Um, we had Matt Kelly, who's the Gallatin County health officer. He said he was really concerned about the announcement. He pointed out it came on the same day that the CDC is actually Suggesting that people actually double up on masks to have better protection against some of these new, more contagious strains of the virus. And then Kelly also said that in his county and statewide, there's still thousands of people in Gallatin County, tens of thousands statewide who are vulnerable and can't get vaccinated because, you know, demand really outpaces supply. And that's that it does include older people. It includes people with health conditions and that sort of thing. So I think... Some people obviously really like this. There is some frustration. Gene Forte did mention Montana is going to be getting a modest increase in our weekly vaccine allotment, but still seeing appointments, you know, for when doses are available, fill in a matter of minutes.
0: So as we've seen and reported on, uh, there's a lot of Republican legislators up at the Capitol uh, not wearing masks, Uh, but Gene Forte has instructed his staff and said himself that he... Is going to wear a mask? Did he indicate at all during the press conference if he would wear a mask going forward without the mandate?
1: Yeah, he did say that he would, and he would encourage people to do so. I actually asked Matt Kelly down in Bozeman about what he saw from when the state, way back last July, was strongly encouraging people to wear masks, and the difference he saw from when it was went from encouraging to mandated. And he was saying, you're just on my drive home that day. It was a flip from businesses, you know, not having signs on the door to doing it. So he said, you know, there's a real difference between encouragement versus requirement, but Gene Forte has, you know, even through the campaign placed a huge emphasis on personal responsibility and incentivizing good behavior. So that's his approach here.
0: Thanks Holly. Uh, A lot of other things uh, have been moving through the Capitol this week. Uh, Tom, You've been tracking bills all session that would change aspects of hunting in the state. Uh, But this one from Representative Joe Reed of Ronan proposes something that opponents would say would violate tribal sovereignty, right? Uh, What's this legislation all about?
2: Uh, Sure, Tom. This was a a hearing that um, really generated a lot of um, testimony. Uh, What Joe Reed's bill, it's House Bill uh, 241, um on uh, montana's uh, seven uh indian reservations you have what are called fee lands um that means that they are privately owned lands um they are owned by people um uh, many of them who are not members of the tribe um but within the exterior boundaries of those reservations the tribes are um really the ones that legally speaking have um, managed wildlife um and that includes hunting what these um, non, um, non-tribal non members say about their land, though, is that, well, we're not allowed to hunt because only um, tribal members can hunt, but we're the private landowners. We see the impacts from deer and elk. Um, so we saw a lot of people come down um, to the Capitol to testify in favor of this bill. Uh, what this bill would do is lift um, essentially a 70-year-old rule um, that um, the state has that says... Um, non-tribal members cannot hunt on private lands uh, within the the reservations. Uh, We have an audio clip from one proponent, uh, a retired game
0: warden.
3: I am here today as a proponent of House Bill 241. Unjustly, landowners living within the exterior boundaries of the seven Indian reservations do not have the same rights as the landowners living outside of these political boundaries. This is wrong. We are taxpayers like the rest of the people. As a game warden in Poulsen, I witnessed this inequity firsthand. I was a guy drinking coffee with and listening to many of these landowners. Landowner relations was a big part of my job. I was also the guy issuing tickets to some of them and their family members for shooting deer and elk on their own lands. I never felt it was right, but it was my job to enforce the Fish, Wildlife, and Parks Commission regulation. I made it a point someday I would fix this wrong. This is the reason I am here today.
2: So uh, what's Rick saying here, Tom? Um, so Rick worked up in the Flathead pole scenario, he said, for for really for decades um, and saw a lot of these issues play out with the the landowners up there. And it seems like he's part of a grassroots effort up there. He brought um, what he said was over a thousand signatures from landowners up there asking for um, reforms to to um, the tribal hunting limitations. Um so what they're asking for is that on these private lands, that they be treated like other private lands in Montana outside of the reservation. And that would mean that you buy your Montana deer tag from the state of Montana. You can go and shoot a deer on your own property there. And
0: opponents uh, let's hear from Darren old coyote, uh, former chairman of the crow tribe.
3: Today I stand before you as a father and a grandfather And in each of those senses, uh, our rights as Indian people have been in jeopardy. We are a race of people who have always had to constantly fight for our right as human beings. We have rights that have been afforded to us through treaty. Our treaties have been recently been upheld in Supreme Court regarding hunting. For me and my people, the Opsalaga, we do not hunt for sport, fortune, or fame. We hunt for our own sustenance. We hunt for our families. We hunt for survival. The Native people have endured many hardships, whether it be through warfare, assimilation, smallpox, even COVID, and even sy- systemic racism. But I, as a Crowenden, have lived in two worlds. First, that being a Native American, and second, being a citizen of these United States. This bill is a direct violation of our rights as Native people, and I encourage you to oppose hb 241 because it is only right
2: um this is something that we really heard from a a lot of opponents um especially from the tribe the the tribal representatives that were there Um, this bill strikes at um, a a very long-standing and and clearly a very um, emotional and and charged issue um, relating to everything from um, assimilation efforts dating back to the 1800s um, that saw some of these, these private lands go out of the tribes um, out of the tribe's ownership. Um, so what they've done is then through treaties, um, negotiations, lawsuits, um, they, they've been able to establish these, these tribal hunting rights um, and control the hunting in their own properties or, or within their own reservations. And I think that's really what, what a lot of the, the opponents um and there were a lot of them came to helena to say so what else did opponents have to say about the bill um in, in addition to really um a lot of the the cultural issues and the tribal sovereignty issues what you saw was uh uh tribal attorneys came in and you know what they said that this isn't going to hold up that it's um, going to invite um, lawsuits and one of those attorneys was uh Majel Russell. Um, she's an attorney representing the Crow and the Assiniboine Sioux tribes.
1: This bill has been painted as a private property bill. It's not a private property bill. It's a bill that clearly infringes on tribal sovereignty, violates the Montana constitution and state law. And I've urge urge you to vote no on HB 241. Thank you.
2: So Tom, what Russell's talking about is that there's been litigation over this, um, A few times. Uh, The Montana Supreme Court has ruled on this. Uh, The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has ruled on this. Um, And both of those decisions affirmed the tribe's right to um, restrict big game hunting um, for only tribal members within the boundaries of the reservation, and that includes the fee title lands. So, Tom, what do lawmakers think about the bill? Well, they didn't take action on the bill, Tom, but um, I think – one of the really interesting moments was um, when uh, Tyson Running Wolf, he's a Democrat from Browning, and and he asked um, Representative Reed, um, "Did you consult the tribes, the tribal council, anything like that?" And and Reed said that he had failed to do that. Um, and it was pretty much a, a very abrupt uh, moment in the hearing. Um, at the end of the hearing, Reed um, uh, he he said that he had learned a lot which I think was pretty interesting. Um, and he kind of came around and he said um, that, I don't know if he he's questioning the viability of the bill or not, but he said that he hoped that at the very least it, it struck up a conversation between these landowners and the tribes. Thanks, Tom. Before we wrap it up, uh, let's jump over to our newest
0: bureau member, Sam Wilson, first time on the podcast. Um, Sam, maybe introduce yourself a bit before we get going on the legislation you've been following.
4: Sure, Tom. Uh, yeah, glad to be here. Um, I uh, previously worked for a couple of daily newspapers in Montana, the uh, Daily Interlake up in Kalispell, and then more recently the Billings Gazette. Um, and yeah, had uh, had a little bit of a break before I got here, and have started picking up uh, bills that are related to elections and how people vote in Montana. Um, obviously. During, you know, this most recent general election in 2020, um, you know, elections have been kind of in the news in a way that they haven't been much previously. Um, You know, we saw a lot of coverage surrounding election security and claims of election fraud. And um, I think what we're seeing now is um, is a response from a lot of Republicans in the state legislature um, to kind of act on some of those issues. Um, You know, we had... A ruling back in September from a federal judge that uh, you know made note that the Trump campaign, which was um, at the time uh, challenging a law that allowed counties to choose all male ballots in Montana, um, they had not been able to bring any substantial evidence of voter fraud before the court related to um, any incidents in the past twenty years. Um, so that was that was a pretty strong federal ruling. Um, But nonetheless, there have been a lot of efforts that Republicans say are measures to strengthen voter integrity, Um, you know, particularly this package of bills that was requested by the new Republican Secretary of State, Christy Jacobson. Um, That is a uh, kind of a new phrase that they seem to be pushing and, um, you know, noticeably getting away from claims of election fraud. Thanks, Sam. So let's get into the nuts and bolts of some of these uh,
0: bills. Why don't you start with Senate Bill 169? What does that do?
4: Yeah, so this is uh, legislation brought by Senator Mike Cuff out of Eureka. um, And it's, it's one of the bills that's being brought on behalf of the Secretary of State and would basically change the language, uh, surrounding what type of identification is required by voters when they're registering and actually casting ballots in person, Montana. Um, currently Montana does require identification, mostly in the form of photo ID, although there are some exempt, some ways you can also present, um, other identification. If you have like a combination of, uh, utility bill, um, you know, and and another non photo form of ID. Um, This basically just kind of takes it a step further. Um, Previously, you would have been able to cast your ballot if you had a student ID. Uh, Now, you know, if you're a college student who doesn't have a state ID or driver's license, you'll also be required to bring a utility bill with you or some other supplemental form of identification. Um, Opponents of the bill have labeled this voter suppression. Um, They're saying that this bill targets specific voting groups like students um, or, um, you know, just poor people who might not be able to afford to drive to the voting place or to their local government office to get photo ID or to purchase photo ID. Even though the cost is fairly low, you had a lot of bill opponents that were speaking out against it and saying that, um, you know, that cost can be significant for a lot of people in the state.
0: House Bill 287, is that another bill that came from the Secretary of State's office?
4: House Bill 287, that was actually brought by a Democratic representative, uh, Kelly Cordham, out of Bozeman. Um, And what that proposes to do would be uh, essentially obligating the state to pay for return postage on mail-in ballots. Uh, That was something that we saw during the 2020 November election, um, and that coincided with record-breaking turnout. Um, Cordham's argument in bringing forth the bill was that you know, this is basically just one less obstacle for people who might otherwise have difficulty voting. Um, proponents of the bill noted that um, a lot of people, especially those with disabilities that are in institutional settings, um, might not have access to something as simple as stamps to get their ballots in, and so this would essentially be what. Um, Representative cordham called kind of a low-cost way to um, enhance voter, uh, voter turnout. Um, the fiscal note on that actually just came out today and um, estimates roughly a half million dollars a year um, uh, hit to the state budget to implement that. So... Um, that's likely something that's going to come up during uh, executive action when members are voting on that. And I think that was a sticking point for Republicans on the committee.
0: You covered one bill uh, that seeks to allow to use campaign funds for childcare. Is that right, Sam?
4: Yeah. Um, House Bill 221, um, brought by a, a freshman representative, Alice Buckley, um, would basically just carve out another uh, way that candidates for elected office are allowed to use campaign money. Um, currently, there's nothing that specifically allows them to use that towards the cost of child care. Say, um, you know, if a single mother is campaigning for office and is planning on uh, being out knocking on doors all day, this would basically put into statute that, uh, you know, they are definitely able to use campaign funds to cover those costs. Um, that got a, the support for that bill was pretty interesting. It had a pretty broad um, kind of ideological spectrum of supporters and co-sponsors on that. Uh, a number of Republicans joined with Democrats to uh, to pass that uh, earlier this week.
0: Well, thanks, Sam. Uh, that's been another episode of uh, Big Sky Lead. If you want to keep up and keep hearing this podcast, uh, make sure to find it and subscribe where podcasts are found. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tom. Thanks,
4: Tom.